Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey all you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm your other host, Shelby or Sheacup. And we are here to take a break from our series on the conflicts of Thetis and the Exalted Marches. And we just got off our two-episode part on the Cunari Wars and the Cunari Exalted Marches, or the new Exalted Marches. So we're here with a character deep dive, and this is probably up there with our like top five most anticipated character deep dives. Yeah, this one is long-awaited, and it does continue the theme of the Cunari Wars, um, all of that, because we're covering a Cunari today. And so we're talking about Sten. Just kidding. Um, I know you guys are super disappointed. We're talking about Iron Bull. Um, the one and only, the Iron Bull. Man, I need, because I know they haven't gotten there yet, but I need the two girls episode on the Iron Bull romance. Like, I know, tomorrow. me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be great. But no, they're not there yet. So y'all will have to stay tuned to the Two Girls, One Ship podcast for the Dragon Age Inquisition romances. So, Anyway, we are talking about on this podcast, because believe it or not, this podcast is not a walk-in commercial advertisement for the two girls, one ship. Um, But (laughs) we are talking about Iron Bull today. We will talk a little bit about his romance, but um, we're going to be talking about his whole life. And he does a lot of things. I was pretty shocked by some of the um, depth to Iron Bull. 
when I was doing research, but, you know, we know him as the founder and the leader of the Bulls Chargers, a member of the Cunari, specifically a part of the Ben Hasrith. And he's also a companion member and a potential romance option for either the Inquisitor or Dorian Pappas. Yes. Um, and Dorian and Iron Bull, I just want to say here now, they have the best ship name, which is Dory Bull. Yeah, it's very adorable. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what it's a pun on. It's just adorable, though. It is adorable. Um. Anyway, so we're kind of slap happy today, but let's get into the fun facts. First and foremost, let's talk about Iron Bull. Um, he's the first Kunari who is a romance option for a protagonist. Yeah, I guess that's that is true. Because Sten is not. Correct. And so he is kind of, he's important, um, not just because we love him, but because he is like a first for a lot in a lot of different ways. Um, but we also know, kind of moving on, we also know that Iron Bull lost his eye, saving Krim's life, um, which makes you kind of understand why Krim is so loyal to Iron Bull. Um and also Iron Bull, his height is eight feet tall, exactly. So he's pretty tall. You wouldn't know that because he spends his whole time sitting down in a chair. Yeah, I know. But um, let's just say that he does sit in the chair as his sexuality dictates he sits in a chair. That's fair. That's a fair point. But I do have a quick, fun D&D fact. Being oh, eight, feet t- eight feet tall still classifies you under the size medium and not large in D&D. Really? Uh-huh. Eight feet tall is the end of medium. So that is the tallest you can be. And really only Goliaths, Minotaurs, and other things like that reach that while still remaining medium-sized. I just had to go look at my Goliath. D&D character's sheet to verify that that was true because she's seven feet and 11 inches tall. And yeah, it says medium. So if I buy some like heels and wear them, will my size increase to large? No, unfortunately, you can only change your size through features that say it can change your size. So the next fun fact that I have is... Speaking of size and Iron Bull, so Iron Bull's character actually went through a lot of changes during development. Um, he was originally going to just be one-handed and he would have like a prosthetic for his left hand. And the prosthetic was intended to have a functional cannon as a weapon instead of a hand. Um, and he was also originally going to be a race specific romance, not a romance for everyone. So for the prosthetic canon, they just weren't able to make it functional. And so they scrapped it. And then for the romance, the reason why he was going to be race specific is because of technical difficulties with the height of the Cunari and stuff. So um, once they were able to kind of work out those issues with Iron Bull's size and height, he was able to be romanced by anyone. So they opened it up. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I just want to say like this whole kind of idea, and this is just want to say it out, don't need to talk about it. But this to me opens up maybe some potentials if our inquisitor shows up in dead and dead wolf dread wolf um 
with what they could possibly possess. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That is a great point. Um, but just to move on a little bit, the last fun fact I have for the day is very important. And I want you to put it in your back pocket and just remember this. Do not forget this um, because it will come into play later in this episode. So his name under the cune is Hisred, which means liar or weaver of illusions. So just remember that. That is very interesting. Um, I have a fun fact that we didn't talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and it's just about his voice actor in that he is a Bioware. He double dips in Bioware games of Freddie Prince Jr. Voices both James and Iron Bull in Dragon Age. James in Mass Effect, Iron Bull in Dragon Age. Yeah, um, he also was kind of shitty on Twitter recently, which sucks. Um, but... It was interesting because basically he also said recently that he had not been invited back um, to play Iron Bull. And that's kind of how the whole conversation started or whatever. Um, But I don't know if that means Iron Bull won't come back or if that means that they're just not asking Freddie Prince Jr. to come back. Yeah, uh, 100%. I think that and this is another example of when we can really really disagree with the voice actor but still love the character a lot Mm -hmm. um prime example is uh cullen and greg ellis but yeah and i do think it's important to say like what freddie prince jr said on twitter is nowhere near the level of hateful rhetoric that greg ellis spews spews like a dark spawn um freddie prince jr just you know it was insensitive toward Krim and refused to kind of take that back or be receptive to that criticism, which is, you know, it sucks um, for sure. And it is transphobic and it is absolutely not fair to the character. But I don't think that that's the same as what Greg Ellis has done. And um, if you need more information on that, just Google it because yeah. yikes. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's move on. This is not a Bioware news podcast. We're here for the lore. So let's talk about Iron Bull's like childhood, how he grew up and everything. Um, Let's just dive right in. So if you weren't aware, Iron Bull did grow up in Parvalin and he was raised as all Qunari are by the Tamasrans. During his childhood, he was recruited to the Ben Hasrath. Interesting to me that this happened in his childhood. And so um, before he was recruited to them, he had a name other than Hisred. And his name then was Ashkari. And Ashkari means one who thinks. Um, But as a child, Iron Bull was already very tall, very large, and very strong. He was one of the bigger kids um, in his group. But even though he was one of the bigger kids, you know, you might be tempted to think oh well he was like a bully probably not because we know iron bull but like he could be um or he could be like a leader like person who bosses other people around someone that other kids look up to because of his size like those kinds of things and not necessarily saying he wasn't a leader but 
Iron Bull, then as a child, he was very much serving as a caretaker for the other kids. Um, he would always like go and tell the Tamasarans when somebody was sick or if another kid was fighting and causing trouble, like he would be the one to go and tell them and kind of create peace and be that kind of go between between the adults and the kids. Um, so we already see him like as a person with responsibility, as a person who cares deeply for the other people around him. And I think that those are characteristics and traits that continue and follow Iron Bull throughout the rest of his life. A hundred percent. And I think, is it a little tropey to have the big, strong uh, individual who is actually just a soft little teddy bear on the inside? Sure. But it's a trope we enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Just because he is a teddy bear doesn't mean that he wasn't also in trouble all the time because he was. Um, he was actually quite a bit of a troublemaker. Side note, in my opinion, this is my unprofessional opinion. It is my opinion that you have to be at least a little bit of a troublemaker to be part of the Ben Hasrith. It's just kind of the name of the game. But one of the instances of Iron Bull misbehaving is, in fact, what set him on the path to becoming part of the Ben Hasrith. So at dinner one day, Iron Bull had eaten all of his meat, um, but he had not eaten any of his vegetables. So his Tamasrin told him that he, you can't be done until you, you can't be done. You can't go and play until you've eaten at least two more things off your plate. So in response, Iron Bull pulled two pieces of meat out of his pocket, put them onto his plate and ate them immediately and said, I ate two things off my plate and ran off and went to go play. So this incident convinced his Tamasran that, okay, he is not going to be a good soldier who just follows orders, first of all. So instead, she recommended him to become a spy within the Ben Hasrith. Um, so Iron Bull is a follow the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law kid. When it benefits him, sure. Because I feel like <laughs> if it was a situation where following the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law benefited him, I'm sure he would do that too. Right. I just uh, really resonate as a resident picky eater and a very picky eater as a child. I resonate a lot with that story. So are we saying it here on the Lorecast that Iron Bull Picky Eater confirmed? At least child Iron Bull. <laughs> Fair. So do you have any more thoughts on Iron Bull as a child? What we've seen of him? Anything like that? I know normally in character deep dives, we don't really get information about the companions as a child. So I really enjoyed that we do have this much information about Iron Bull. Yeah, I think it's interesting. The story is interesting because I think not only does it tell us about Iron Bull, it makes us laugh because it's a humorous story, but it gives us a little brief insight into the Kunari culture in that, like, just because you're not going to be a yes, you're not a yes person who says everything and follows every order doesn't mean that there's not a place for you at in the Kuhn. And the Tamat, I really have a lot of respect for the Tamasrans who are the ones caring for the Kunari children and raising them and his Tamasran being insightful enough to say like, okay, you're not going to be a soldier. Like, let's, let's not put you in something that you will never succeed in. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think this story is also a really great reminder that just because they don't have parents in a nuclear household doesn't mean that they aren't cared for. Um, It doesn't mean they're not nurtured because this is very much a story of nurturing. This is very much a nurturing family um, and an intimate family who really like knows each other and knows the personalities of the people that they're living with. And so I think that it's very tempting to think, oh, well, the Kunari don't have families. Oh, well, the Kunari, they don't have relationships the way that everyone else does, which is not really true. They do. It just looks different from the rest of Thetis and from most of our worlds, too. Yeah, definitely. So let's move on a little bit to Iron Bull's time in the Ben Hasrath. So he um, is beginning his training in the Ben Hasrath, of course, and he receives a new name. And as we already knew, this name is Hisrad. And so um, Iron Bull does a lot of things when he's in the Ben Hasrath. So his work in the first few years focused on really uncovering secret groups. So he discovered and reported and like flushed out multiple underground smuggling operations. Um, he also did this for discontented groups who were like trying to leave the Kune. And of course, to venture spy and slave rings. So he has a lot of accomplishments in working to kind of find and root out all of these different groups. And you can imagine that it takes a lot of skill to do this because these are very different groups. Um, you know, a person or a group that's wanting to leave the Kune is not going to have very much in common at all with the Tevinter slave group. So that, first of all, takes a lot of talent. Um, but, you know, after all of these accomplishments, which are a lot, they're starting to pile up. His talent for this line of work has really started to be realized and recognized. And so he quickly starts moving up the ranks of the Ben Hasreth. Um, and pretty soon after he started moving up the ranks, he was recommended for service on the island of Saharan. And he talks about this a lot in Dragon Age Inquisition. And so um, he refers to the island as, quote, a sack of cats. And he tells the Inquisitor that most people serve a maximum of two years on Saharan. And that's because life on Saharan is inherently stressful. There's constant fighting between Tevinter and the Kunari. There is traveling bands of Talvashoth who are just ready to kill everyone. And then there's also the native fog warriors trying to hold on to what little territory they still have. So for all of those reasons, most people serve a maximum of two years on Saharan. That's the upper limit of the sentence of the assignment. Iron Bull, in contrast, serves for seven years on Saharan, almost a decade. So he is serving for almost quadruple the amount of time that you're supposed to serve on Saharan. That should tell you everything you need to know about Iron Bull's will and fortitude. Yeah. And it's that just Iron Bull is not a person who does things until he meets the obligation and then moves on. He does things until he feels like they're done. Yes, absolutely agreed. So let's get back into this timeline a little bit. So so Iron Bull has been serving on Saharan for almost a decade. Like it's been seven, eight years. He's burnt out. He's stressed. And there's a battle that's about to happen. 
it's clearly a recipe for disaster, but he has to continue to do his job. He's got to continue until the job's done, you know, like you just said. So his unit has gone through some major, major losses. They've lost a lot of people. They've lost most of their like leadership and a merchant that Iron Bull had purchased food from regularly had been bribed into poisoning Iron Bull and all of his soldiers. That same poison was also used to murder a school of children. Now, Iron Bull is absolutely furious about all of this, and he vows to avenge the children. And so he then led an assault on a Talvashoth fort in the jungle who he had determined, uh, you know, they were the ones that bribed the shop owner. They were the ones that killed the children. Like, it's their fault. Everything is their fault. And so they go into the jungle to kind of besiege this fort. And during this battle, he lost even more of his soldiers, including his best number two, um, who's named Vasad. And so when Vasad went down, Iron Bull or his red basically went into like a berserker fighting rage kind of thing. And so the rest of his surviving soldiers, and they're very few at this point, basically abandon him. Uh, not because they're afraid, not because they're deserters, but like they are saying, okay, we've got to go get help. Like, I, I don't know what's happening to Iron Bull, but we have to go and get some reinforcements. So they go and do that. And um, Iron Bull continues fighting. And so when they get back with the reinforcements, they found Iron Bull sitting, not moving at all, covered in blood and wounds, and surrounded by all of the corpses of the entire Talvashoth party that he was fighting when they left. Immediately when they arrive, Iron Bull says, I'm not okay. Like, I cannot. Nope. I'm done. I can't continue working here. I'm dangerous. I can't be around civilians. You have to send me for re-education under the queue. And so they do. Do you have thoughts about that story yet? I think that it's interesting that Bull basically, when he starts to kind of like question the Kuhn a little bit, that he immediately goes to like this re-education. And I think that it goes to like, in this moment with this, like Bull is not ready to give up the security of the Kuhn yet of like how he understands mm. the world. So he goes to that point and says like, I just, I need to do what I'm supposed to and be reeducated because I'm not ready to deal with this complexity and I can't deal with this complexity right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like he, he's, he just can't do it. Um, but I think that this story shows again, his willfulness and fortitude, but it also shows how much, emotional intelligence he has and we see that in inquisition which we'll get to later but he knows himself well enough to be like i can't i can't keep doing this anymore i've got to get some rest i've got to get re-education i've got to be fixed basically um i think it does take a strong person to be able to admit that about yourself and not necessarily have your superior say hey I've noticed you seem a little off. Do you need this? No, Iron Bull is the one that says, I need this. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And it's very interesting for his character of like, there's just, 
there's just a lot going on there. And I think I would be interested if in a later time, whether that's media, whether that's a game of getting Iron Bull to maybe get his, if he's still alive in what happened, like get his thoughts after leaving the queue of like, let me rethink about this moment. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about what happens during his re-education for a little bit and what happens after. So re-education is not necessarily like, oh, you're bad. Like you're going to get kicked out of the queue. Like that's not what it means. Re-education is like, you need a break. Uh, you need to be reminded of like what's good about the Cunari. That's what re-education is about. It's not a punishment. Um, and so we see this because Iron Bull, after his re-education, he gets a nice comfy job in Orlay. He gets a cushy life. He's no longer in the trenches in Saharan. He gets assigned to work in Orlay. And so he's basically assigned to be an undercover spy and is pretending to be a Talbashat. And so he's got like a real cushy gig now. Um, And he starts working for a mercenary company called the Fisher's Bleeders, which is a mouthful, very difficult to say. Um, The leader is obviously a guy named Fisher, and apparently he completely sucked as a commander. So Iron Bull decides, I'm going to leave and create my own mercenary company and do this way better. So he takes several of the bleeders with him and... Fisher gets super pissed off about it. And Iron Bull is basically like, um, well, I'm better than you. So, and Fisher's like, yeah, you're right. You are. And that's kind of the end of the fight. Um, and so the new mercenary company that Bull creates is what we know and love as the Bull's Chargers, whom we will discuss after the mid-break. All right. Well, let's head to the middle of the show. Ah, Hawk stepped in the poopy. I love you. Want a sandwich? All this for me. No, I didn't get Alexius anything. Send him a fruit basket. Everyone loves those. So welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things that have to do with the podcast, uh, but don't have to do with the lore of Dragon Age. And so it's here where we thank our patrons. Thank you to all of our patrons who support us. We greatly appreciate it. A special thank you to our first patrons, Lisa M and Genesis. A special thank you to our divine tier patron, Kit. And a very, very special thank you to the one and only Nug King, Lewis H. Maybe one day there will be two Nug Kings and I will not be able to say one and only Nug King anymore. And so, But thank you all for your support. If you'd like to join us on Patreon, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash DALorecast or finding the link in the episode descriptions and you can support us there. Another great way to support us is to leave us ratings and reviews on Apple or Spotify. Uh, If you leave us five stars and some kind words on Apple or comment on one of our episodes with some kind words we will read it out on a future episode of the show and so we are here uh we have a review to read right yes we do and so this one came from apple and it came from stan mc42 who said lore masters five stars after seeing info about dreadwolf i decided to replay the games to prep but was craving a deeper dive into the world i found the lore cast which has tons of awesome information from the depths of dragon age's lore so far it's been a great resource and i've been listening to it on my commute or while I'm fighting in Origins. Highly recommend if you're at all interested in the lore of the games. 
Thank you so much for this awesome review. Yeah, thank you so much. And the last thing you can do is join us on Discord at the Cups Podcasting and more. You can come and hang out and talk about Dragon Age. You got a theory about Dreadwolf, come and share it. You got this some like crazy out of the woods theory about some small little comment that a random shopkeeper makes in Origins and you want to talk about it. Discord is the place to do that. Um, and there's all other things to do there, but you can find that link in the episode description or by going to our website, cupspodcasting.com. And I think that's all I've got for the middle of the show. All right. Well, let's get back into it. <laughs> Up there, giant icicle tits. Ice tittles. You're looking for titsicles. Oh, that's good. Yes, and it's real nice night for an evening um you fear barbarians will swoop down upon you yes swooping is bad okay so obviously as you can imagine before we get into like actually talking about the chargers i just have to set the scene a little bit because you can imagine while the inquisitor is fighting the breach and experiencing all of the things that happen in the beginning of the game the other characters that we meet later on are having experiences and potentially fights that may or may not connect with the inquisitor's story and so the chargers are experiencing something just like this. So they are coming out of a fight with the Venatori when the breach happens. And Iron Bull is immediately disturbed and upset by it. And he goes off to figure out what exactly is happening, what this means, etc. So they are doing all of that in the introduction of the game. And after you return from dealing with the Chantry in Valrio is when Krim shows up in Haven and basically offers you their services because Iron Bull has, in his trying to figure things out, found that, okay, there's this thing called the Inquisition and they're the only ones that seem to even give a crap. So he has decided to become aligned with them if the Inquisitor is open to it. Um, and so that's when you can meet and recruit Iron Bull in the Storm Coast. He is always honest and upfront with you about being a member of the Qunari and specifically the Ben Hasrath. So that's not something that he ever hid from the player. Um, that is very important to note and we'll come back in the future. So throughout the game, Iron Bull gives you status reports and updates from the Ben Hasrath, and of course, sends reports about you back to them as well. But eventually, the Cunari also come to realize the threat that Corypheus and the Venatori are to all of Thetis, um, and they are willing to offer an alliance with the Inquisitor. And so basically, this is Iron Bull's side quest. This is, if you've ever heard people talk about saving the chargers or sacrificing the chargers this is the mission where it happens so there are spoilers for that if you've never done it um though at this point the game is 10 years old so um yeah anyway so basically in this quest they set up a joint effort to attack the venatori and a, a red lyrium smuggling ring that the Venatori are operating on the Storm Coast. So when everybody arrives, you meet with Gat, whom we talked about on our 
Kunari Wars Part 1 episode. So if you want to know more about him, you can go listen to that episode. Um, And so basically the plan is that there's going to be a Kunari Dreadnought who ambushes the Venatori ship before it reaches open waters. In the meantime, the Inquisitor and your party that you've chosen take one area and then the chargers take another area to fight off the venatory who are on land so bull assigns the chargers what he believes to be quote the easy job but a large venatory force begins advancing on their position which is basically it's too much for them to handle and so gat insists that the chargers hold the hill Um, Because the Dreadnought would be destroyed otherwise. Um, Bull looks to the Inquisitor and basically says, like, you're the boss. You have to be the one to decide. It can't be me. Um, And so if, if you tell the Chargers to retreat, which saves them, the Dreadnought is destroyed. The Alliance is in the toilet. And Bull is cast out of the Kunari and becomes Talvashoth. If... You sacrifice the chargers, then the mission ends in success and he stays uh, Ben Hasreth, but the chargers, they perish. So obviously, if you do choose to sacrifice the chargers, Iron Bull is devastated. I personally have never done this. I just can't uh, do it. It hurts my heart too much. Um but Iron Bull is so deeply affected um, by their loss, and he collects their remains in order to give them a Cunari rite, um, like a funeral, basically. Um, but then on the other hand, if they survive and you abandon the Cunari, the Ben Hasreth send two agents to Skyhold to assassinate, quote unquote, Iron Bull. This was obvious. And so he saw them coming from far away. Um, and so he tells the Inquisitor that sending only two men after him is a formality and like there's no need to retaliate and all of that. So that's kind of what happens Um with Iron Bull's side quest. So I just wanted to kind of talk about Austin, in your opinion, you know, what does this choice say about Iron Bull's character, in your opinion? It's really interesting to me because when Bull is first given an opportunity to like, the Kuhn is not all there is, or the Kuhn is not like, really standing up in this moment he submits himself for re-education in this moment it's almost like he recognizes he says to the inquisitor like you decide so i don't have to but it's interesting to me because very early on we get the story of bull being this caring individual and you see that. And it's one of the reasons why sacrificing the Chargers, I think, is not something that you do, because you have that whole scene where they're all sitting around in the tavern and they're like teasing each other and having a good time. And you see right then and there that they are a family. You can see that Bull has found that found family in there. And it's hard. He's loyal to the Kuhn because he believes that they have done right by him. But I think once he forms the Chargers and forms that bond, the kind of like his identity as his rad already begins to crumble. So basically, as Inquisitor, you're deciding for Bull 
should I abandon abandon Hisrad or should I go back to what I know and what I've grown up with? Yeah, absolutely. My opinion is that I think this speaks again to his emotional intelligence because he, I think, recognizes that he can't make that choice or is afraid of making that choice because he's afraid of letting down the cune. Um, and so he wants you to make that choice so he doesn't have to. And I think that that shows that he has a lot of emotional intelligence and kind of ties into my next point, which is earlier I, I mentioned that I think he has a lot of emotional intelligence. And we see this in one of the uh, the cutscenes in an in inquisition where he takes the inquisitor around to talk to like random like unimportant grunt soldiers in the inquisition's army and basically says like why are you why are you part of the inquisition and they all have different reasons but it's a time where iron bull reminds the inquisitor like you don't have the luxury to forget um that there are regular everyday people serving in your army and they look up to you and they're here for a reason and they believe in you and you always have to remember that and you also don't have the luxury of like pretending and going and like hiding and trying to like be inspired by them because your face is so recognizable so you have to take this moment and you have to commit it to your heart and always remember this and to me that's one of the most emotionally intelligent things i've ever seen in a video game because it's so true um and i think i wish that some of our leaders in our world, our politicians, our our corporate workers, um, our VPs, our CEOs throughout the world had someone like Iron Bull reminding them of this when they're making decisions for our world. Right, 100%. And I think that Bull, more than anyone else in the entire Inquisition, is the one who thinks of the whole rather than the parts or the individual. Like he does consider like the individuals there, but he's always considering like the whole of the inquisition, the whole of the world, the whole of everything going on there and remembering that their choices will have effects on people who aren't nearly as powerful as they are. Yeah, absolutely. So did you have anything else to add about everything with the chargers? Um, I have never sacrificed the chargers. I have not done the mission before. So I have gotten the ending that happens. The bad ending. The bad ending. But I, for one, from my things, I cannot see a situation where it is to the Inquisition's tactical advantage to choose to sacrifice the chargers mainly because you know the old saying like it's much more expensive to sign a new client than it is to like keep an existing client it's much more risky to enter into the relationship with the ben hasra than it is to keep the chargers who are loyal and tried and true soldiers for the inquisition i feel like the chargers as a group as basically kind of their shock troops their special forces are more valuable than whatever intel the Ben Hasra are going to get the Inquisition. Yeah, I agree with that. So let's talk about his romance for a little bit, because I think it's really significant. And I think it's really different from a lot of the other romances we've gotten in Dragon Age. So he's a romance for any Inquisitor, um, any 
race, any gender, whatever. Um, and so the relationship specifically begins as a physical relationship only. It can develop into more, but it starts as physical and it, it does not have to stay that way. Um, but you can do a physical romance with Iron Bull. You can ride the bull and then go and romance someone else. Um, so there are lots of different options. Like I said, you can keep it casual, one-time thing. You can keep it a friends with benefits, or you can go all the way and basically become his Kadan um, in the Kunari language. So that's his relationship. It's super important because that's very different than any other relationship we get in Dragon Age. But at the same time, if you don't romance Iron Bull and you romance someone else, if you bring Iron Bull and Dorian in your party enough, eventually they'll start to flirt with each other and they will enter into a relationship autonomously. So there are a lot of different romance options that you can do with Iron Bull. Um, and I just, I know we don't normally go through like all of the relationship aspects because you can just play the game. Um, but I wanted to bring those things up because I do think they're really significant. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to say about the Iron Bull romance is that it has absolutely the funniest scene in all of Dragon Age. Uh, because in your culmination scene, you guys are hooking up in the tower and all of the um, advisors and Cassandra basically come barging into your room one at a time. And Iron Bull is naked on your bed. And they're all, they all have the most hysterical reactions to it. Um, it is so funny. If you've never seen that, you have to go Google it. Um, look it up on YouTube. It is so funny. Yes, um, it is very, very funny. And they just like every character reacts exactly as you would expect them to react for their character. Like Cassandra has the like, oh my gosh, like shocked, like, oh my God, what if I just walked into Cullen is like trying not to look at you and being awkward and trying to change the subject. Josie is just like, I'm sorry, I'm going to leave. And Liliana is just kind of like, okay. Yeah, it's it's so funny. Like it, it makes me laugh out loud every time. So the next big part of this episode is about Trespasser. There are a lot of things that can happen in Trespasser. If you haven't played Trespasser and you care about spoilers at this point, just don't listen to this. So now I'm going to kind of break this up into if the Chargers survive and if the Chargers are sacrificed. Um, so the first part that I want to talk about is if they do survive, um, if they do survive, Iron Bull does return and he does attend the exalted council. There's a really fun scene where if they survive, um, they want to surprise Iron Bull for his birthday. And so they enlist the Inquisitor to help occupy Bull while they drag in a whole dragon skull as his present. Um, and it's really cute. And basically at the end, he's like, yeah, I knew about it the whole time. I just didn't want to burst their bubble. Um but if you bring Iron Bull to the final confrontation with the Vitasala, um, she will plead with him to rejoin them. She calls him his rod and orders him to kill the Inquisitor. Um, however, Bull refuses and remains loyal to the Inquisition. 
And then after the game, after the conspiracy ends and is over, Bull and the Chargers go back to being a mercenary company for hire. And they basically do their part to try to maintain order throughout Thetis um, and all of that. If you romanced Bull, he keeps his dragon tooth necklace with him always, and you are still together. And if he was in a relationship with Dorian, they continue meeting in small border towns on the border of Orle and Taventer. And when Dorian is actually kidnapped by some leftover Venatori, Bull is the one that leads the Chargers across the border in a very dangerous rescue operation. Um, and they leave like a whole trail of freed slaves and dead Venatori um, behind. And so they allow Dorian to escape. So that's all everything that happens if the Chargers survive. I almost just want to end the episode there because I don't like to acknowledge that there's a completely alternate universe where the Chargers are sacrificed. If you had told me like before we had done this episode that like, hey, there's a situation where Dorian is basically just playing the role of damsel in distress and Bull comes to rescue him. I would have been like, of course there is. That is the logical conclusion to their relationship. Right. Absolutely. Well, it's not the conclusion to their relationship. Like they stay together right. too, but. Or at least logical epilogue. Um, but let's go to the other side, which I think is the more to be fair, lore interesting side um, where the Chargers are sacrificed. So if you sacrifice the Chargers, Iron Bull has fully recommitted to the Ben Hasrith once again, and he operates unbeknownst to the Inquisitor as a spy for the Vitasala. If he is brought to the final confrontation, the Vitasala orders him to kill the Inquisitor, which he follows without question, betraying the party and he has this really sick line that is it just stabs a knife into your heart because he calls you boss all the time throughout um, the game as a term of respect and endearment. And so when he betrays you, he says, change of plans, nothing personal, boss, B-A-S in the Kunari language, which basically means like outsider. And I always found that line to just be, oof, like that hurts, that burn hurts. So that's what happens if you do bring him. If you don't bring him in your party and you sacrifice the Chargers, he basically appears through a side door and then joins the Ben Hasseth during the fight and says, you know, it was smart of you not to bring me along. Um, neither romance nor high approval will prevent his betrayal and you have to kill him. And then Cole even notes that, quote, his heart held no regrets over the decision. Um, and during a later conversation with Solus, Solus basically remarks about Iron Bull's betrayal as evidence of the Inquisition's failure and eventual fate. And so, obviously, Iron Bull's betrayal causes questions about all kinds of people. Um, it causes Talvashoth mercenaries to be looked at very suspiciously throughout Thetis and it makes their lives way more difficult. And also if you romanced bull and sacrificed the chargers um, quote, this is a quote from the codex. Many people start blaming the inquisitor for the Cunari attack saying that they allowed themselves to be blinded by lust and seduced into folly. The inquisitor is mocked in tavern songs and Orlesian plays for years to come. 
end quote. Which I hate that. Um, The Inquisitor literally saved the world and all you're going to do is make fun of them because they made bad choices in the bedroom. Like, hasn't everyone made bad choices in the bedroom at some point in their life? All it continues to support is that Orle is trash. And then the last, one of the last things I want to talk about is I saw this Tumblr post um, when I was doing research and it was so poignant um, that I just wanted to include it. And so this is from Goddess Tierra and it says this, I hate when people say the iron bull betrays you and trespasser. No, he doesn't. He was never yours. He could have been, but when that mission happens... When that moment happens where he is torn between being bull and being hisred, he flinches and he freezes, unable to choose. And then you sacrifice bull's family. You choose hisred. You remind him that nothing matters more than the Kuhn. In that moment, the iron bull dies. He dies on that coast with his family. He tells you when you meet that he was a spy and his loyalty was to the Kuhn. It's not his fault if you forget that. Yeah, I think that's a fair analysis. I completely agree. I mean, it really is. You didn't really know the real Iron Bull um, if you make that choice. So I agree with it completely. And like this kind of goes back, you said to keep this into your like back of your mind. And so I'm just here to like kind of talk about like his name literally means liar or weaver of illusions. You know, you remember in our D&D campaign when the first one, there was one player who was a spy and none of us knew it. Well, I knew it because I was the DM. And one time I said, like, tell me your like. Tell me something about yourself was like a pass for like a magical trial. And he said, I lie every day. And that was because he was actually a spy. And I think that's bull. Like, I'm sorry, but that's how it is. Like, you can't forget that you told him to remain loyal to the Kuhn. Yeah, exactly. So I just I think that it's really good writing. And I want to get into some quotes and some differences with him in a minute. But I just want to say before we move on, I think Iron Bull's writing is phenomenal. And I really respect um, the writers even more after doing this research. He's a really good character that like many of the Inquisition characters and many of the Bioware characters, not what he appears to be just on the surface when you first meet him or if you only have like one or two conversations with him. So before we get into quotes and why we love Iron Bull and all that kind of stuff, I have one notable thing to discuss, and that's about Iron Bull and the Kuhn. And because he's different from other Kunari that we've seen before. You know, we learn a lot about the system of the Kunari and Kunari life that we never really got with Sten. We learn more about family life and, you know, how it's very different, how some things don't really exist. And the fact that we learn about Tamasarans at all, really. Bull is very much presented to us is someone who is not fanatical about his religion and his belief systems. I think depending on your choices you make, you can definitely push Bull to become more fanatical, more traditional in his like Kunari ways. Unlike Sten, Iron Bull never really like 
tries to get you to be something you're not. You know, Stan always wants you to be more harsh, more decisive in battle, more decisive about going to fighting the archdemon right now. And Iron Bull is not that way. Iron Bull recognizes like, hey, yeah, I know there's things going on. Um, We got to be our own people. But I guess my question here is like, is this just a difference between Sten and Iron Bull and two individuals who are both happen to be Kunari? Or is this a difference that's maybe somehow deeper? Is this a difference that Iron Bull has ideologically with the Kune or that even Sten has ideologically with the Kune? What do you think? What are your thoughts? Yes, is the answer to your question. I think it's all of these things. But I think one important thing is that this might be a difference between Hisrod and Sten. Sten is a part of the Atom. He is a part of the military. He is going, getting things done, following orders, do things that you're supposed to do. Bull is part of the Ben Hasrith, which his role is more blend in, like assimilate, learn what you can, report on what you can. And so I think Bull less tries to push Kuhn views because his goal as Ben Hasrath, as Hisrad, is to learn as much as he can about the environments that he's in. Yeah, I agree with that. I wondered myself if it was a difference between like the branches of the Kunari that we see and we know about. Um, and that also ties into our theory that there's kind of a Kunari civil war brewing, anyways. So let's move into some Iron Bull quotes. You don't need blood magic or demons to change someone's mind. We're a lot more fragile than we'd like to believe. Whenever you need an ass kicked, the Iron Bull is with you. People don't always tell the truth when you're polite. You got to poke them a bit. Dragons are the embodiment of raw power, but it's all uncontrolled, savage. So they need to be destroyed. Taming the wild, order out of chaos, have another drink. My people don't pick leaders from the strongest or the smartest or even the most talented. We pick the ones willing to make the hard decisions and live with the consequences. The last one especially just is interesting to me because, you know, when Bull has is faced with the hardest decision of his life, he defaults to the Inquisitor like he doesn't make the decision, which I guess at the same time, the Inquisitor is his leader in that moment. So that makes sense too. Um, But it's just really interesting to me that we see this huge moment with Iron Bull that's like life defining for him and he doesn't make that decision. And yet he still says this. Right. And I think that it's a bull in this point of like, when you get to the point of like the Chargers mission, because you do have to gain some type of conversation and approval to get the Chargers mission, it's not just going to be handed to you. At that point, I think that Bull has like started to believe in the Inquisitor. And so I think he's also thinking like, I can't make this decision because this decision affects the whole of the Inquisition. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where are they now? Um, He's either alive and kicking with the Chargers or he's dead. Um, So that sucks. (laughs) But that's that's what it is. I at least appreciate that it's this decisive uh, versus a lot of times it's, well, we don't know. Or it could be this or it depends on your choices. Um, Right. At least we know. 
So, Austin, why do you love or hate the Iron Bull? I love the Iron Bull mainly because he is funny and he's deep. And I love the Iron Bull for the same reasons that I love Dorian in that the Iron Bull serves a purpose to give us a more broader understanding of a group that in the games that we've considered enemies. So like with Dorian, you know, Tevinter Magisters have always been an enemy in the game. And same thing really with Bull in that we have always fought the Kunari, even back to Dragon Age Origins, when we are have Sten, we still fight Kunari Talvashoth mercenaries. And so like they've always kind of been this like other enemy with other individuals. But Bull, like Dorian, shows us like there's more to this than what we've been told in the games and what we've experienced. And this world is much more complicated. So I appreciate Bull a lot from the roles that he plays. He's not like, I don't take him everywhere. I enjoy his commentary. I don't want him to be my enemy, but he's not also not up there as like my top favorite companions from this game. So you're saying Iron Bull is not one of your favorite companions. He is he's like dead middle for me interesting that's really interesting to me i think iron bull is up there for me and one of the reasons why is because we we often get companions that are really smart or really dumb um in traditional intelligences like solace very smart uh people skills zero sarah not very smart not a lot of people skills. She understands systems though. Cassandra, not a not a lot of people skills. Um, but she's well read. She knows a lot about tactics. Same for Cullen, you know. Um, but we don't have a lot of characters that are very emotionally intelligent. Iron Bull is. And so that's why one of the reasons why I love him, um, because you know, there are so many different types of intelligences and very often in our world we only think of like oh well if you're book smart that's the only way to be smart which is not true not true at all um but iron bull just intimately understands people you could say he's an empath even um and so i love that about him i also love that they make you know this huge hulking character the man um very much not the stereotype of someone who would be emotionally intelligent. That's the character that they've made emotionally intelligent. I love that. I very much um, adore that in his characterization. So Iron Bull is very much up there for me. I wouldn't say he's my number one favorite companion in Inquisition, but he's definitely up there. Yeah. Um, I definitely see all that. And I do love the Iron Bull. Like, there's not really an Inquisition companion that I hate. Um, they're just some that I love more. And I definitely get that. And I think that I will consume his media. And I think that he is a great companion and a great addition to Dragon Age Inquisition. But he just, I just, I just identify and relate more to the other companions. Yeah, and I think that's understandable. We all have our preferences, but safe to say we definitely both love the Iron Bull. Yes. All right. Well, if that's all you got, I'm ready to wrap this up. All right. So a special thank you to our Nug King patron, Lewis H., who gets thanked at the end of the show. And thank you all for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We will see you next week. 
Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora. And all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.